Now, why he does this, he's deconstructing these things in three ways. I've already hinted or said some of them, thing, but we're going to break them down more subtly. So there's two things that are happening as we go through these 11 chapters. The first thing that's happening is he's saying, I explored wisdom, pleasure, work, and wealth. And it was all meaningless, hevel. I could not find the meaning. It brought me no purpose. It brought me no pleasure, ultimately. But as he's doing that, this is what I pursued. He's doing a second thing. He's deconstructing them all in three different ways. Okay, now, lots of commentators have broken it down into four categories or five categories or whatever. But the Bible Project breaks it down to three categories. And I think their categories are good. And I'm quoting the Bible Project a lot because if there's one thing they've done really well, I think it's the wisdom literature. Okay, there's a lot of things I really like about them, but there's some things like, ah, eh, that could have been done better. Or, I don't, I think... But when it came to these three books, they did a really good job of piecing these three pieces of puzzle together in a really phenomenal way. So they break them down into three categories. But every commentator that I've read basically is saying these three categories, but some divide one category into two, or they divide another category into one. But they're all agreeing that it's pretty much these things that he's deconstructing. deconstructing. The first thing that he's deconstructing is time. Time is always passing away Nothing ever changes. So we've already talked about this. This is really seen in the first, like, verses 4 through 7. And then in chapter 8, he really hits his heart. And what he says, it happens on a microcosm and a macro. Macro-wise, generations come and come and come and come and go and go and go. And time is always passing away. And you, you go through the centuries, and that generation came, and then they died. That generation came, and they died. And that generation came and died. And largely speaking, nobody's really made overall the world a better place. We have not become less corrupted. We have not become more efficient at anything. We have not found greater meaning or pleasure or purpose in life overall. Human nature has not really changed that much. And in the end, we have no idea who all those people are. And, who, and what they really truly accomplished. They've all been forgotten. It's all dust in the wind. It's all that kind of stuff. And you and your life is just a blip in human history and the history of the universe. Stars are born and die, and we're just a blip in all that. But on a macro, microcosm, it's also true. You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed. You wake up, and just day after day, everything is just the same, monotony. And we have so many stories and so many movies about monotony. And this is where the midlife crisis comes in, because it's just been monotonous. And why, what have I been doing for the last 40 years, day after day after day? After day? I don't feel like, and, and, and that's that monotony here. And, and, and everything you do just keeps going on. Everything just keeps passing away, passing. Time is going. It's the one thing that you're always spending and you can never make more of. You only have so much time, and, it's, and then it's gone. And, what have you, and many of us look back and we think, wow, that went by so quickly. What did I truly accomplish? And we know there are so many regrets on the deathbed or at the end of the life. And, and I'm already beginning to experience that as I look back and like, holy cow, my daughter's already halfway out the house. And I feel like those years went by and what have I really invested in her life in any kind of a way? And so it's filled with all this monotony. No matter how much knowledge you have, no matter how much money you have, no matter all this kind of stuff, nothing ever changes. 
And then not only that, you don't accomplish anything new. Okay? Especially now. Every single movie we make now is just a reboot of the 80s. Okay? It's like everybody's like, the 80s were awesome, so let's just recreate it again. It's Ghostbusters again and Smurfs again. And, and, like, and we've rebooted Spider-Man like four times. And they're already talking about rebooting all the Avengers. Okay? So it's like we just, we just keep doing the same thing over again. And if you, go on YouTube and look up um, Pachelbel's Canon. Um, the misery of Pachelbel's Canon. Almost every song, if you know Pachelbel's Canon, that like classical music, it's almost in every single song. Green Day, all this kind of stuff. We just see these patterns, okay? And nobody really comes up with anything new. And nothing that you accomplish would be anything new. And everybody's like, oh, I didn't like that movie. It reminded me of whatever. So of course it did. We're all just cannibalizing everything else and putting our name on it. I mean, that's basically what we're doing. Even now, I'm just cannibalizing other people's ideas and putting them together in a way I think they should be. There's nothing new. And then not only that, you're never satisfied. We always want more. Okay? You want another season of the TV show. You want to hear the song again. You want another to taste that food again. And nothing's going to change, and we seem to be nothing satisfied. And time, meanwhile, just keeps passing by over and over and over again. And nothing will ever change. And, and I think you see that as you get much older, which is probably why the teacher is old and the kid that is listening is not. But that's the warning. And if you think you're going to leave a great mark on the world, the book of Ecclesiastes is saying you're probably going to leave more of a great stain on the world. <laughs> and so he says, ultimately, trying to find the meaning of why my time is passing away and nothing seems to be changed and I'm never satisfied, what's the meaning to all that? There is no meaning. Second is death. Death comes to everyone. And... Nobody will remember you when you're dead. That's a good Hallmark card. Okay? (laughs) Everyone's going to die. And you're all one day closer to death than you were yesterday. That's combining death and time together. Bonus points. You're all going to die. And the way he puts this is the fate of everyone is the same. This is the other thing he's constructing. What does it matter to you if you're wise? Time is passing away and you will never be satisfied. What does it matter that you're pursuing pleasure? Time is going to pass away and you're never satisfied. Work, wealth, everything. Now he puts the second thing on it. The person who works really hard and builds an empire and the idiot who sits on his couch eating bonbons and watching Netflix his entire life, they're both going to die with nothing. The wise person who has great advice for people and is admired for his wisdom and knowledge, and the idiot who opens his mouth and always makes people more stupid after listening to them, they're both going to die. The person who's poor and suffering and rags and misery, misery and the wealthy person is everything, they're both going to die. And the end, the fate of everyone is the same, worm food. And that's what the author is saying. I told you this is going to be depressing. <laughs> And nobody will remember you. You think about it. I've already talked about this. We don't remember all the everyday normal people, the 90% of the people who in human history, nobody has ever known them. They've never made it into a history book. The few people that are powerful and built out empires, we've forgotten 90% of them in the dust and the sand. And their monuments are gone. The other few people, like 
George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Nebuchadnezzar II and Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and the, for the good and the bad, Hitler and Stalin, all them, what are they, just a name? Do you actually know who they are? Do you know what drove them, what they feared? Did you actually know who they are? And even then, they're just facts that you had to memorize in school. They did this, they accomplished that. And then you give ourselves another 2,000 years, and will anybody really be teaching them in the history books? No, they'll be completely forgotten. So what luck do you have to be remembered after you die? You're like, oh, but my children remember me. Yeah, but guess what? They're going to die. And then they're not going to remember you anymore because they're dead. Well, there might be a few pictures of you that they'll show their grandfather, their grandchildren, but to the grandchildren who never knew you because you died before they came along and they're just looking at a picture, they're just somebody with a weird hairstyle and bad clothes. Okay? And they don't know who you are. Their name, maybe your great-great-grandchild does a family tree one day, but it's still just nine names and lines. But eventually, even that will be lost in a fire somewhere and give it three or four generations and nobody will have any idea who you are. And no memory will be left of you. (laughs) Told you it was going to be depressing. (laughs) But remember, God put this in his Bible and says this is wisdom. This is wisdom. Chapter 12 is the good stuff. The third thing he deconstructs is life is chance. It's like playing the jackpot machine. You got that woman who's sitting there at the Las Vegas and she's pulling the handle, quarter, handle, quarter, handle, quarter, for four hours. She gets up and walks away and some kid just walks up, puts a quarter and pulls a hand and And you know that's how it works. And what he's saying is that's life. Okay, you got one person who works hard and slaves it out, and he's right next to somebody else working hard and slaves it out, and chance one gets promoted and the other one doesn't. You've been in the exact same boot camp, and you're in the exact same hole together, and one guy dies and the other one doesn't. You live a healthy life, and you eat the same foods and exercise and do everything that all those exercise people told you to do, and they are great and fit, and Chuck Norris can beat the crap out of anybody, even at 80 years old. And you did everything Chuck Norris told you to do, and you don't even make it to 50. And you know it's chance. And a lot of times you just feel like, why even try at anything? Because it really just feels like we're just pulling the handle on the machine, and it's all just random and chance what comes out. And in the, the voting is chance. <laughs> you feel like the, 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 the presidential leader is a jockpat machine. Everything is just chance. There's a glitch in the system. And when you do what is right, it's chance whether it's good for you. And if you do what is evil, it's chance whether you actually get punished or not. And we can turn on the news to see that one. I mean, we see it constantly. And he says, trying to find the meaning of all this is meaningless. There's no way you're going to understand this. That's 11 chapters. It takes 34 minutes to read the whole book of Ecclesiastes. So if you drove into that and read that, and it probably would take you a little bit longer because you got to pause for moments of crying, it's going to be really depressing. And some of you probably already read it. And you kind of got the depression, but then others of you are like, man, i got to go back and read that because it's probably going to be more depressing now that I get what's being said. And you remember that really famous song, Was It the Birds, There's a Time for Everything? They like totally plagiarized the Bible and didn't give it credit. And so they're like, there's a time, and we're like, oh, that's so great. And every once in a while, there's a pastor who whips it. That's not positive. 
What he's basically saying is round and round while we go on the wheel. There's a time for picking up and a time for throwing down. There's a time for living and a time for dying. And we have no idea because everything is random. You go from war to peace and nobody knows why we're in war and why we're in peace now. But don't worry, we'll go back to war eventually. That's what he's saying. It's not that this quippy little thing like God's got a time for everything. That's not all what he's saying. He's saying there is no rhyme or reason for why we're on this merry-go-round. You spin the wheel and you get death. You spin it again, you get life. And don't worry, it'll come back around to everything again eventually. And you will know why. It's chance. It's total chance. Before the teacher becomes too depressing, there's a second repeating phrase that goes throughout this book. And this is by far one of the most important phrases in the entire book. Does anybody know what it is without cheating and looking at the notes? Under the sun. Of course, every time I say that phrase, the little mermaid pops in my head. Under the sun. And it's the sea, but... Dang those mermaids. Under the sun is used over 27 times in this book. And over and over again, he'll say, there is no... Everything is hevel under the sun. It is a chasing after the wind under the sun. In the ancient way of thinking, there's only one thing or things that are above the sun. And that's the gods. If you're a pagan, it's the gods. If you're an Israelite, it's Yahweh. And everything else is below the sun. And so what he's saying is over and over again, he does acknowledge that there is a God. He does acknowledge that there is a meaning that that God knows. What he's saying is if you're trying to discover the meaning of everything in this life, it is going to be futile. Because then eventually you will die, time will pass away, and everything is just random down here. So if you're looking for meaning under the sun, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. And even above the sun, Yahweh knows the meaning, but he doesn't always share it with those under the sun. And so the author is repeating this over. This is why he's not pessimistic. Because he does acknowledge that God is God, and he does know the meaning. There is a cosmic being somewhere out there in the universe that does know the meaning of everything that's happening. And so he's going to point you to that. But the thing is that the author doesn't have an understanding of the afterlife either. Very few people in the ancient world actually had an understanding of the afterlife. That's a much later Daniel development, the book of Daniel, and going to the Second Testament. For him, he does believe that God is good, God is powerful, and there is meaning that he knows, but because he doesn't have a well-developed sense of the afterlife like we do, he doesn't have confidence that he'll ever know it or ever figure it out, that he'll go to the grave without knowing it. In the end, the, the teacher will throw little things in here and there and say, but wisdom is still good. You still should pursue wisdom over folly because God is wise and God is good. And wisdom is still fear of the Lord. And you should still fear the Lord and obey him. Because largely speaking, I have, yes, those who obey and those who do not obey, they'll both die. Yes, it does not always go well for those who obey, and it goes really well for those who are wicked. But I don't ever want to answer to God. The teacher is basically saying, in the end, God is still God. And God is above us all. And God is good, and God knows the meaning, and we are to obey God. And one day we will face him, and he will judge us. And I don't understand the meaning, and yes, I'm very fatalistic sometimes in the way I see these two things, 
But in the end, I don't want to face God on the end of judgment. And so he's good, he's just, and he will judge things. Eventually, somehow, I don't know. So if I have to choose between the wisdom and the hard worker and the obedient and the fool and everything, and yes, the fate of both is the same, there's still the God card. And I do really not want to face God. And so he still encourages you to obey God and keep his commandments and fear him and pursue wisdom and pursue the book of Proverbs. Because yes, it will still be good for you somehow. I just don't know how. And then he ends on one last point. So you might as well just enjoy the moment. If you can't figure it out, then enjoy the moment. Now, what he does not mean is seize every pleasure you can. Because is he favorable of that? He said it all brought you what? Meaninglessness. What he means is just enjoy the moment now. Just stop worrying about, or start regret, stop regretting things. Stop worrying about the future. Stop wasting your time trying to pursue something that will bring no meaning. And just enjoy this moment. Enjoy the meal that you're eating. Enjoy the family that you're spending time with. Stop worrying about what's going to happen to them one day. Just enjoy them right now. You don't know what your fate is tomorrow. You don't know what their fate is. And whatever you worry about, it's not going to bring any meaning to anything. And whatever you regret, it's not going to enlighten you on what happened in the past. So just live in the moment and enjoy it. Enjoy each moment that you have as a good gift from God, not a seizing it for pleasure because I want to feel good, but that God gave me this moment with my kids. He gave me this moment with a cup of coffee. He gave me this moment with a sunset. He gave me this moment with a good book, with a wise teacher. So enjoy it. Don't regret in the past and don't worry about the future. Just enjoy the moments that God is giving you. Those are his two final advice. In the end, God is still the God we answer to. In the end, if you can't change anything about the past or the future, then just enjoy what God is giving you in the moment. And to a certain extent, this is good advice. And this is why the author put it in the book, and this is why God put it in the book. Teacher also ends with this really good description on an old age. Verse 9, chapter 11, he says, Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the impulses of your heart. He doesn't mean like follow your heart in a worldly sense. Chapter 12, verse 1. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Pay attention to all this now that you're young so that you don't have regrets like I did. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them because I'm too old to do anything and enjoy it. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars grow dark, you can't remember anything more because the lights are going off in the top of your head. The clouds disappear after the rain. You're getting a little foggy in the head. And when those who keep watch over the house begin to tremble, your memory is going. He has a lot of things to say about memory. The vervile men begin to stoop over and the grinders begin to cease because they grow few. Your teeth are falling out so you can't even enjoy food anymore. Um, You can't enjoy running because you're stooped over. And those who look through the windows grow dim. You're going blind so you can't see through your windows anymore. The doors along the street are shut, and when the sound of the grinding mills glows low, you can't work very well anymore. And the one who's awakened by the sound of the bird, and all those songs grow faint, you can't hear very well. And they are afraid of the heights and dangers in the street. You became worried and fearful of everything. The almond blossoms grow white, that's your hair, and the grasshopper drags itself along. 
Remember what I'm saying now when you're young and you can do something about it because when you get older, it'll be too late. 